see all you guys. Question by show of hands. How many of you went to Detroit last summer with Mercy Road and served with us? One. Oh, that person was just scratching, the, scratching your head. No, there was about 50 of you that came last summer, and it was a fantastic experience for those who did. I'm going to talk a little bit about Life or Model today, but more importantly, we're going to dig into the Word and find out what is God saying to you and to me and to us. So before I do that, though, I want to revert back to the most brilliant educational model I ever learned in, in the best grade ever, kindergarten. How many of you remember show and tell, right? It doesn't get any better than that. So before I tell you something, I'm going to show you something. This is a two and a half minute video recap of what God did last summer through 10,000 people of which Mercy Row was a big part. Detroit can't come back with government doing everything. It's got to be the community and the city together. And hopefully it'll inspire other people to make a change. When they came here, they were doing God's work, doing it the best they could. And they did a superb job on everything that they, that they did, above and beyond what we even expected. I've never seen people work together like this. Yeah. They're all were on the same page, which is very unusual. Everybody needs to be part of something like this, I think, once in their lifetime, to really get the real meaning of what God is, who God is, what God can do if we trust in Him. Detroit-based nonprofit, only working in the city of Detroit now, but we're actually considering expanding to other cities. And right now, Indianapolis is at the top of our list of possibly uh, moving here. So what we do is we revitalize neighborhoods by doing three things. I like that shirt, by the way, right there. You got to see that. You got to stand up. Everybody's got to see that shirt, right? You're rocking it. Okay. You got to turn around so people can see it. So we remodel a community asset we repair owner-occupied homes, and we clean up at least 300 city blocks 
in six days with 10,000 people or more. Here's a picture of what we did at a high school on the west side of the city. We put in a medical simulation lab where students can learn to be certified nursing assistants, EMTs, and even the very first and only firefighter academy exists in this room where kids can be hired as firefighters straight out of high school. We put in a STEM lab, which includes an assembly line robot where kids can learn to program and be hireable out of high school. Believe it or not, Cody High School hadn't had a home football field in six seasons. They played every single game away, including homecoming. So we built them this $1.2 million synthetic field. At Osborne High School, when it rained outside, it literally poured inside the building and the kids had to dodge massive amounts of rainfall. So we re-roofed 70% of the building, took care of all the leaks, and it's a dry place. We also put in a new gym floor. I'm happy to say the Osborne boys basketball team made it to the Elite Eight this year. Over at Denby, the kids designed a park because they said there was nowhere for them to have fun and feel safe at the same time. They designed it believing that one day someone would build it. And that's what we did last summer. Mercy Road was a part of that. We built this park with and for the kids. Here's an example of what we do for homeowners. Each homeowner gets one and only one critical repair for free. They get a new roof, new furnace, new windows, plumbing, or electrical. We also remove blight. Here's what happens in about six hours when we work together to get rid of illegal dumping. And believe it or not, most of the dumping in Detroit does not happen from Detroiters. It actually comes from people who live outside the city who come into the city to dump. We board up vacant properties because vacant buildings are magnets for uh, criminal activity, prostitution, human trafficking, and drug use. We put signage along the safest routes to and from school so kids know what are the safest paths for them to walk. And we get the kids, residents, churches, businesses, over 10,000 people from all different walks of life who serve together with Jesus followers leading the way. Detroit Police Department measured crime one year following one of our recent projects and it dropped in 10 out of 11 categories on the area where we worked, including a 47% reduction in homicides. Um, but it's all about life transformation, right? The physical stuff, eventually physical things are gonna change, you're gonna need a new roof. So it's all about transforming people. Meet Pandora. All right, on the top is the very first day we ever met Pandora. That's literally her name. And she burst into one of our monthly community meetings where we were preparing for the project. She was angry. She was intoxicated. And she starts to look around the room and she points at everybody. And she said, you people aren't going to accomplish anything in my neighborhood. All you're going to do is come here and talk, talk, talk about your plans. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to change. Then she begins to tell us about her 18-year-old son named Martonio who was murdered two years prior to when we met her. And we learned this is a woman 
who'd endured a tragedy that no mother should ever have to experience and she'd never learned coping mechanisms to deal with her loss. So at the beginning, she was the number one antagonist against this project. But over the next six months, we became very good friends. Pandora's life was changed dramatically where she began to go out and recruit residents from the neighborhood to join us the week of the project. She was a leader. She eventually got elected to the Osborne Neighborhood Alliance Board of Directors where she continues to serve to this day. And she serves with Life Remodeled every single year. This next guy, hopefully you recognize him, David Rothenberg. He's right here from Mercy Road Church. You need to hear David's story from him because it's very powerful. But in a nutshell, David did not believe in God, but he was attending Mercy Road Church for about three years. Became a close friend of Josh Hussman and Eric Maitland and kept asking hundreds of questions about God and Jesus in particular, but it wasn't getting him to cross the line of faith until he came to Detroit last summer, served with Life Remodeled for the entire week, and he said he saw God at work while he was there. He had a radical spiritual encounter, gave his life to Jesus, came back here the same month and got baptized in this church. And that's really what it's all about. But today, I want to ask you a question. Does anyone happen to remember that recently there was a presidential election in the United States? Does anybody remember that? I know sometimes it's easy to forget things, right? But, but do you recall? Uh, so I have a question for you. If Jesus would have agreed to run for president of the United States this last campaign, would you or would you not have voted for him? Before you answer the question, right, I want to be honest with you about Jesus' political record. Because as a matter of fact, Jesus actually was the president of Israel at one time. He was the king of Israel thousands of years ago, right? And uh, he, was, he, he was not enjoyed by all of his followers. In fact, they did not like all of his policies, and they eventually impeached him. So you can read about it in 1 Samuel, all right, this is historical fact. So you need to know that before you decide if you would vote or not vote for Jesus. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to look at one of Jesus' policies so you can see would you be happy with him as your president or would you not? And it comes from everyone's favorite book in the Bible. We can all say it on the count of three. One, two, three. Leviticus. <laughs> right? Our favorite book. Chapter 25, this is one of God's policies. It starts like this. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Is everybody with me? Somebody say yes. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the 10th day of the seventh month on the day of atonement. You shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. So we're talking about God's policy of the year of jubilee. And what he's saying is that every 50th year you're to have a jubilee which begins with the announcement on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, one of the most, if not the most important day of the year, began with a celebration that started with two goats. All right, just like every celebration that we all do, you always want to start a good party with two goats. One goat was slaughtered 
and it was bloody, and it was a, it was a visual, physical representation of substitutionary atonement, whereby the punishment that we truly deserve for constantly sinning against the holy God and rejecting him and his word, that punishment that we deserve was actually placed as a substitution on the goat to remind us that our sins are forgiven. The other goat was brought to the priest who laid his hand on the goat, prayed, sent the goat off into the wilderness. This was called the scapegoat, right? And that goat represented the fact that not only are our sins forgiven, but they are forgotten. They're removed from us as far as the east is from the west. So how many of you could vote for a president, President Jesus, who has the power to visually demonstrate to you that not only are your sins forgiven, but they are forgotten? And I don't know about you, but sometimes I have those thoughts in my mind of those sins that I committed maybe a long time ago that for some reason I just can't get it out of my mind. And maybe you have that. Maybe it was something really small, but for some reason it keeps coming up. Or maybe it was a little bit bigger. Maybe it involved a relationship with someone you used to really be close to that you had a serious falling out with, and now maybe you no longer even talk to that person. Maybe it involved drugs or alcohol or sexuality. Maybe it even involved the taking of a human life where you committed an abortion. Or as a man, maybe you were a part of an abortion being committed. How amazing would it be if Jesus was your president and he could visually remind you that not only are your sins forgiven, but they are absolutely forgotten. I think we could all vote for him, but as the policy digs a little deeper, let's see what else God says. He says in verses 11 through 12, that 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines, for it is a jubilee, it shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field. Let me explain to you what's going on. Uh, first of all, is anybody here a farmer? Here in Carmel, I'm guessing there's a lot of farmers. Farmer right there, farmer in Carmel. Okay, a couple farmers. Has anyone ever been on a farm at any point in your life, ever? Okay, most all of you. So if you've been on a farm, or if you, especially if you work on a farm, you know this is hard work. So the good news for farmers, the year of Jubilee, when the 50th year comes around, God says all farmers are to stop working for an entire year. But if you read the rest of the policy in Leviticus 25, you will learn not only is this good news for farmers, God says you are to do no regular work for an entire year. So can you imagine if you voted for Jesus, the 50th year came around, the year of Jubilee, all right, and you don't work for an entire year. No need for an alarm clock, no more snooze button, no more rush hour traffic, no more meetings, no more boss, lots and lots of time with your friends and family, all right? Who would not vote for Jesus, okay? Well, I realize some of you might not be that excited about that because you may possibly have the same problem that I have. You might be a workaholic. And so you're doing the math and you're thinking about, wait a second, if Jesus was president, the year of Jubilee came around, I wouldn't work for an entire year? What, what would happen to my expendable income? Or I would have lots and lots of time with friends and family. <laughs> or how about an entire year 
where I can't prove to other people how good I am by the things that I do. As the policy digs a little deeper, look at what else God says here. He says, in this year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his property. Let me explain to you what's going on here. God says when the 50th year comes around, if you lost your land, no matter how you lost it, you're going to get it back when the year of Jubilee comes around. Now, I've got to explain this concept to you that is going to be very foreign to all of you. None of you are going to understand it until I take a lot of time to explain it because sometimes the Bible, isn't it just so complicated, right? When you look at this culture that was thousands of years ago, it's like, I can't relate to that. Well, get, listen to this. Believe it or not, you're going to have to listen really closely. Thousands of years ago, sometimes there were people that would actually spend more money than what they had. I'm serious. You're laughing because you're like, come on, who would do that? It's this concept called debt, right? I know nobody can relate to it. You probably never heard of it. But in Hebrew, the word debt actually means debt. And imagine with me, right? There were farmers that... Would, would, would plant their crop, and if they had a bad crop year where it rained too much or too little, they would actually lose everything. So they would have to borrow money for their next year. They would borrow money, and imagine there were two bad crop years in a row where it rained too much or too little. They could lose their entire property, and in fact, it happened quite frequently. Or imagine a woman married to her husband. Her husband dies, and it's a high probability that she could lose her land and everything, and she would have to go somewhere else or even become a indentured servant. So the good news is when the 50th year comes around, no matter how, well, how you lost your land, you get it back. But if you read all of the policy, you will also discover not only do you get your land back, but on the 50th year, God says, cancel every single debt, all of them. Even slaves are, be to, are to be released. And so imagine if you elected Jesus as president and the 50th year comes around, the year of Jubilee, what's in your wallet? Your Visa, your MasterCard, Discover, American Express, wiped clean. How good would that feel? How about your mortgage, right? None of us probably actually own our homes. The bank owns our homes, right? Until we pay the mortgage off. The 50th year comes around and your mortgage is wiped free. I think we could all vote for a President Jesus who's going to do that for us, right? Amen? Well, not everybody's that excited about that because some of you are doing the math. And you're thinking about it. Wait a second. If I elected Jesus as president, the 50th year comes around, the year of Jubilee, huh, what about that guy who owes me money? Right? Or imagine with me for a minute. Imagine you have a neighbor who's extremely lazy and he inherited, and don't look at your neighbor if you came with him today, and he inherited his home from his lazy parents and he spends his entire days scratching off lottery tickets and drinking peach schnapps. And one day he loses his home, duh, but then Jesus becomes president. The year of Jubilee comes around and he gets his home back. Or let's take this one step further. Let's imagine the same guy, same situation. He loses his home and you buy that home. And you start renting that home out to a wonderful family who not only takes great care of the property, but they're an asset to the community. You're great friends with them. And then Jesus gets elected president. And the 50th year comes around and you lose that house and the lazy guy gets it back. Now, does that guy really deserve a year of Jubilee? 
Do you deserve a year of jubilee? Do I deserve, does anyone deserve a year of jubilee? Well, as this policy goes on, it gets even crazier. We learn that if Jesus was president, we actually would not own anything. Verse 23 says this, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity for the land is mine for you are strangers and sojourners with me. God says if Jesus is president, if you vote for him and the year of Jubilee or whether the year of Jubilee comes around or not, you actually don't own anything. It's all God. So for example, the money that's in your wallet right now actually would not be yours. You would just be a steward of it. The car that you drove here to church service, you would really truly be leasing it from God. The house that you're going to go home to today or tonight, you would really just truly be a renter, even if you think that you own it. It's not really yours. And I don't know about you, but I like to own things. Okay. For example, if I was moving into a new neighborhood and my neighbor said, hey, Chris, you don't need to buy a lawnmower. You can just use mine. You can just share mine. We'll share it. You can save money. It'll be great. Okay, now the men in the room can relate to me and uh-uh, that's not happening. I'm gonna buy my own lawnmower, all right, that I can control, that I can use it anytime I want to use it. I wanna make sure you don't blame me for not putting enough gas in it or not taking care of it. I like to own things and I like to control things. But if Jesus is president, you and I actually don't own anything. We're just stewards. In case you're wondering though, you may be thinking to yourself, come on, I don't really think this stuff is that big a deal. This is all in the Old Testament. How important was this really anyway? Take a look at the very first verse and the very last verse of this policy. The very first verse says this. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai saying, we're going to pause there because here's why this is important. If you read the rest of the book of Leviticus, you will learn that the rest of the policies are actually not given on Mount Sinai. They're given down below at the tent of meeting. This particular policy is given right on top of Mount Sinai. And the very last verse says this, for it is to me that the people of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now let me translate for you those last words. I am the Lord your God. If you ever read the Bible, which I hope you do, it's a really good book, and you see those words, I am the Lord your God, here's what those words mean. God is saying to you, hey, did you get that? Did, did you listen to, to what I just said? Because it's really, really important. Do you need me to repeat it again? Because I would love to. It's very important that you get this concept. But here's what's amazing. The Jewish people never practiced the year of Jubilee once. They didn't like it. They didn't believe in it. And they didn't practice it. And so we're going to fast forward a little bit to the prophets. If you know anything about Isaiah, Jeremiah, or Ezekiel, or the many other prophets, you know that usually the prophets were talking about the present, but they were speaking from the perspective of God. God spoke through them. But sometimes prophets would actually talk about the future. And sometimes the prophets would talk about the Messiah, who the Messiah would be, where the Messiah would be born, what he would be like, and even how he would die. And we're going to look at a prophecy from Isaiah where he actually says, the Messiah is going to somehow, some way, have everything to do with the year of Jubilee. You may have heard this before. It's in Isaiah 61, and it says this, the Spirit 
of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now that phrase, the year of the Lord's favor, that is the Jubilee. And so Isaiah is saying somehow, some way, many years from now, a Messiah is going to come and he's going to have everything to do with this year of Jubilee that you never practiced, that you did not like, and that you did not agree with. And so what we're going to do is fast forward to Jesus, the very first sermon that Jesus ever preached in his hometown is in Luke chapter four, and it goes like this. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And now I want to pause there before I go on because it's very important for us to understand that Jesus was not doing something that we might do. Maybe you've done this. We might call it dartboard devotionals, okay? Dartboard devotionals are when you may probably have done this before. When you close your eyes, you take your Bible out. Nothing wrong with this. Nothing wrong with this. You close your eyes, you open the Bible, you say, Lord, show me what you want me to see today. You take your finger, you wave it around like this, boom. You point, you look at it, and you say, all right, that's a word for me. Nothing wrong with that. But it's important that you understand that is not what Jesus was doing. It says very clearly that the scroll was handed to Jesus. He took the time to unroll the scroll. He searched diligently and he found the very specific passage that he wanted to read for his first sermon in his hometown. And here's what he reads. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, now, it's finished. Now, how many of you would love a sermon like that? You know, where Josh just reads a scripture, he says one sentence, and he drops the mic and everybody goes home, right? I mean, that would be great. Maybe Josh will start preaching like that when he comes back. But I love that Jesus sits down after he reads the scripture. Because what do you do after a long day's work? You sit down. Why do you sit down? Because your work is finished. There's another place in the Bible where it says that Jesus sat down. You'll read about it in Hebrews chapter 10. After Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, it says that he sat down at the right hand of his father because his work is finished. And Jesus is saying in this passage, he's saying every day is jubilee for those who follow Jesus. Jubilee is here. Jubilee is now. Every day is jubilee for those who follow Jesus. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I look around at the world and I wonder, where 
is it? Because you know that when Jesus talks about heaven, he doesn't just talk about some far off place when you're, you're going to go when you die if you give your life to him. He actually says, no, he's brought heaven to earth. Heaven is here now, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is in you if you put your faith in him. And so Jesus says, love is already here because of him. Joy is here. Peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those things are here now because of Jesus. But some days I get out of bed on the wrong side of the bed, and I'm not feeling it. Or I look at the news, and I see all the crying, and the dying, and the sickness, and the pain, and the craziness that's going on in our world, and sometimes I wonder, where is the kingdom of God? Where is the jubilee? And if you know what Jesus is talking about, you know that he's teaching us this. Heaven is already here, but it's not yet fully here. Jubilee is here, but it's not yet fully here until he comes back again. And so what I want to say is that I believe the Jubilee has implications for you and for me right here, right now. And one implication is this. For those of us who follow Jesus, our sins are completely forgiven and forgotten. They're forgiven and they're completely forgiven forgotten. The second thing I believe the Jubilee means is this. We're going to get our land back. And you may be wondering, all right, which house am I going to get back? Is it going to be the house that I grew up in? Is it the house I live in right now? Or is it the house that I'm going to eventually buy again? And I think the answer to that question, if you're wondering, is none of them. Because none of the houses you've ever lived in are your rightful place. Your rightful place And my rightful place goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And there was nothing special about the Garden of Eden in terms of where it was located geographically. What made the Garden of Eden special was not the place, but it was the presence of God. And the fact that you're in my rightful place is to walk and talk with our Holy Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to live and to dwell with the Holy Trinity. And one day... You and me, if, you put our, if we put our faith in Jesus, we're going to get our land back. I believe this is also an implication of the Jubilee. Difficult circumstances are temporary. You might be going through one right now, or you might be getting ready to go through one. And you need to know this. Whatever you're going through, no matter how difficult it is, it's temporary. This too will pass. I also believe the Jubilee means this that we need to rest and know that our identity and approval come from God, not from what we do, but from who we are. And we can only know who we are by asking the one who created us. And if you're in Christ, in faith, God is saying to you, you are my beloved son or my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Rest. I would also say this, because of the Jubilee, that... We own nothing, and we need to let go of control. We need to let go and let God. And I'll say this. If Jesus had a Twitter account, and he were to post Isaiah 61 on Twitter, he just might hashtag it. And if he were to hashtag it, he just might put the hashtag, oppressed lives matter. And here's why I say that. Because if you look at Isaiah 61 and the passage Jesus reads, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news, to bring the good news to who? 
to everyone. No, that's not what Jesus says. He says, I've been anointed to bring the good news to the poor. And so you've got to believe that there were people listening to Jesus' sermon 2,000 years ago, and they did not like it. Because they would hear that point, and they would say, wait a minute. I thought you came to bring good news for everybody. What's up with that, Jesus? And if you were to ask Jesus the question, he probably wouldn't answer, because Jesus just doesn't do that. But if he were to answer, he might say, yes, I did come for everybody. But you know. There is a special, unique place in my heart for those who are oppressed and for those who are poor. And there's a reason why I chose this passage. It's because 50 years ago, in 1967, Detroit experienced one of the worst riots in the country. It destroyed our city, it tore us apart, and it rocked the nation. That was 1967, 50 years ago this July. And what Life Remodeled is doing is we're actually working in the very neighborhood where it all started. And we would love to invite Mercy Road to come and join us and to work together to remove blight and to repair homes. And then we're also going to repurpose this vacant school building that we've leased for $1 a year, built in 1927, gorgeous building. We're gonna turn it into a community innovation center, which means a lot of things, but in short, we're recruiting tenants. We're trying to get Junior Achievements BizTown, which is a program that exists in 36 states, but not yet in Michigan. It's for fourth graders, fifth graders, and sixth graders, where they come to this, these mock companies, they all become CEOs, they elect the mayor from their peers, they get paid monopoly money, they spend money, and they um, get parking tickets if they're standing in the hallway too long. So it's all about a real world education. This is what the locker room looks like. We want to repurpose it and turn it into a trade school to teach men and women how to get jobs in construction trades. This is the pool. We want to convert that into a maker space where you can rent tools and learn how to work new tools and even start your own business. We want to take the gym, repurpose it into a new rec center. This is the cafetorium. We want to use it for after school programming on weeknights, a marketplace on Saturdays. And then on Sundays, there's a church service that meet there, meets there. And that's actually the church that I attend. Lastly, there's a local pizzeria that's going to move into this building, hire high school students to run it and even do profit sharing with the kids. So what we want to do is work together in this neighborhood. And as we look into the future, like I said earlier, we're looking at possibly moving to Indianapolis. And we would love for you to pray about that if God is calling us here. And maybe you want to be a part of it. In closing, I'm going to ask you to pull out this sticker that you may or may not have gotten when you walked in the door. If you didn't, you'll get one on the way out. It says, I voted. And you're probably wondering, what what in the world is this about? Okay, We're not going to ask you who you voted for in the presidential election. We're not going to do that. But what you need to know is that every single day, every hour, every minute, every decision you make and every decision you do not make, you are actually casting a vote for Jesus or against him. And what I want us to know is that I hope that we all will vote for him now and forever. And let me close this in prayer. And thank you, Father, that you have made a way for us to be like Jesus and do the things that Jesus did. I pray that we would not only receive the jubilee for ourselves, 
but that we would extend the meaning of the Jubilee into the lives of others. May we leave this place more like Jesus than when we came. In your name I pray, amen. Amen.